The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Our presenting sponsor today is rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. All right, welcome on to our last Monday episode in a while. We are going to be shifting to Thursdays, so don't forget about that. First episode actually will be a bonus episode. We're going to give you one this Thursday after game one of the finals, and then we will be on Thursdays at least through the end of the year after that. But let's uh, get right into it here, and since we try to take a, a more long view at times on this show as a once-a-week show, I want to talk about just what we've learned about basketball in these playoffs, what some of the big lessons are, if any, or if we are in danger of making too many conclusions uh, about basketball. So we've got the Miami Heat and the Lakers in the finals. We'll talk about that matchup a little bit in a second. But based on what's taken place in these playoffs, what are some of the just overall lessons that you've gotten on what works in playoff basketball and what doesn't work? I think the real thing we've seen is the importance of motion, especially in watching Miami. But if you look, a lot of these teams that were kind of static pick and roll teams, uh, Houston, Milwaukee, um, maybe even Portland, you could argue, uh, really didn't do well in the postseason. And whereas Miami's constant off-ball activity, I think, was really hard for teams to get ahead of. And I mean, it harkens back to Golden State and how they won, but they had such awesome talent that they probably could have won with any scheme. So we sort of discount that, I think. And But watching it with, with teams with more ordinary talent and seeing how effective it's been for them, it sort of changed the the MO of how you think about the playoffs where you, th- in the past, it's always been like the team with the best superstar wins kind of thing. And that hasn't necessarily held up in every single series, but it's held up enough that it's been a, a general rule of thumb. And here we see, you know, we see, we see Giannis and the Bucks get overwhelmed by Miami. We see Kawhi and the Clippers run out of gas against, against Denver. Like the, the ensemble cast is sort of making a comeback here. Yeah, and that is kind of exciting when you look at, at team building. That And, of course, uh, all the pronouncements went out last night of, oh, the, the Heat never tanked, and they just continued competing, and then they got yeah. one break with Jimmy Butler, and now they're right back in it. it the subtext being, your team can do this too. And it's like, well, uh, can your team get Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo with the 13th or, or the 14th pick or the 13th pick? Uh, yeah. Can your team 
get a top 15 player to come there in a sign and trade when you didn't even have any cap space uh do you have the ability to get duncan robinson and kendrick nunn out of the g league Eh, you know maybe you don't like it's yeah it's certainly they had, a, they had to re- yeah. they had to really thre- thread the needle um the the heat by the way i i gotta bring this up they they did tank okay 2003 okay they tanked right like i'm sorry that wave oh, lebron draft yeah 2008 they tanked their ass off they're 15 and 67 oh i completely forgot about that one yeah then they ended up with beasley out of it but um yeah, so to say they never tanked is inaccurate. To say they built this current iteration of the Heat without tanking is correct, however. Yeah, and they even had some times at the end of the season where they uh, rested some players once once they're out of it as well in a couple. You of see, games. I having been on the team side, you see, I I equate that a little differently, like because we had we we had teams that were out of contention. My last two years and, uh, especially the last year when we, we actually weren't trying to tank per se because we had an incentive to sort of, um, convey the pick that year and then, uh, yeah. possibly tank the next year. And so, but you still don't want to necessarily put good veteran players at risk if they're under contract for future seasons and have any kind of injury issue. It's just not worth it. So, so there's that element too, that even if there wasn't a draft at all, you would still probably do those things with, with some of those players. You know, uh, this is an aside here, but I think it, it's a good one. When Sam Hinkie and the Sixers started tanking and everyone was going completely insane, I wrote this piece that said, Hey, look, and Brooklyn kind of did this too to, to some extent that even if you didn't have the draft pick incentive, if you're rebuilding, this is still the rational thing, right? It's still the rational thing to, all right, let's churn through the back end of our roster. Let's see if we can find a player like, say, Robert Covington or TJ McConnell for next year who's actually going to help us. Let's uh, determine if the any of these guys are any good who can help us going forward. And yeah, there's the type of players you talked about, veteran players who are under contract. Yeah, why injure them once you're already eliminated from contention? Or if that player is a free agent, like he's not going to want to play in meaningless games that aren't going to help his value when he could potentially get injured and tank his market value. And the analogy I had was going back to baseball. Remember back when like baseball teams were too dumb to realize that like getting a higher draft pick actually was good. Yeah. 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 And and, like no one ever talked about the draft at all. Mm -hmm. And then you would look at what every baseball team did in September where you would, I mean, they even, expand the rosters specifically for the purpose of doing exactly what we're talking about yeah to 40 men in september so like clearly it's rational to do that without even the draft pick incentive uh so i I do think that that gets a little overblown Uh, on the other hand there are times when teams just you know if we're talking about playing aaron harrison 48 minutes in the last game of the season then yeah now you're going a little bit further uh not that that was dallas that did that by the way but uh yeah, so so I I do think that that gets overblown, but you know those last three four games of the season sometimes teams go a, a little nuts with it, and the Heat did that I think one year that I remember. Yeah. Um, so what were we talking about? We were oh, talking yeah, about we we got it we got on this tangent originally talking about Miami Miami tanking and not tanking and sort of how they built this finals team. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and what wins it and does it in the playoffs? M. Um, I think we saw this year that 
other than Houston, nobody was really switching that much in the regular season. And we had thought, okay, Golden State, you basically, you got to switch. That's the only way that you can play modern defense. Uh, because either going against LeBron James and shooters in Cleveland or going against Golden State themselves, you just, you can't stop anybody without switching. You can't guard the pick and roll. And I think that lesson continues to be imparted with the addition now of the zone as well. But it does seem like, and this is the big problem with the Bucks, is that if you really want to stop a good team in the playoffs, whether it's the Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic handoff game, whether it's Kemba Walker in the pick and roll, he was very effective in the pick and roll, but not really effective in any other way. Um, there's all sorts of, of good players, James Harden even running a regular pick and roll and then isolating it or uh there's the conventional pick and roll defense basically went by the wayside even the lakers who have anthony davis might be one of the best pick and roll defenders you could uh, create in a lab they're switching they're doing it they're mucking it up they're double teaming james harden uh, after the screen uh selectively at the end of the clock and so both mixing up your defense and just generally not playing a conventional pick and roll defense uh, that seems to still be the way to win in the playoffs because these offenses are just too good uh, on a night-to-night basis and the other thing it's really done is put a microscope on your worst defender and right because if you're going to be if you're forced to switch everything then they're gonna sort of file through switches like a like LeBron's almost like filing through a Rolodex sometimes, right? Like trying to get to the trying to get to the sure. worst defender and, and the the guy he wants to switch against. And so it really becomes less star driven and more more worst player driven in terms in terms of who's your who's your fifth best defender and how can he not be a massive liability for you? We saw that with I mean Miami went after Kemba Walker, who actually, like, I thought he was pretty good on defense this year. Like, he throws his body around, takes charges and stuff, even though he's small. But even even so, in a, once the series got to a high enough level, like, he got exposed a little bit. Uh, Daniel Tice is a good defender generally. He got exposed a little bit in space because he's a drop coverage defender. I mean, I think about our teams in Memphis. Like, how would we have dealt with this? Because... Well, would it like Mark was awesome if he could play a drop, right? And then Tony yeah. Allen on the ball was freaking amazing, and actually he was amazing off the ball too. Like he was great when we put him on on Clay Thompson, and Clay would run through all the screens, and Tony would just stay. Tony was like a ghost going through screens, man. He was unbelievable. Um, yeah. But you go pick and roll against that, and if you have to switch now, you're asking Mark to defend in space or. If they don't do the pick and roll with Mark, right, they're going to pull Zach's guy up, Zach Randolph, and, and run pick yeah. and roll on Zach Randolph. And now your whole defense is not driven by Tony Allen or Marcus Gasol, but by how well Zach Randolph defends a guard. So, like, yeah. even even our defense in Memphis, which was awesome, is, like, super vulnerable to this if if your fifth best defender isn't credible as a switch defender. Yeah, so, so there's really – I think it's going to continue to evolve. What do you make of the zone? Do you feel now – that with both Toronto and Spolstra playing a lot of zone. And I think also you're now giving these guys, uh, the coaches who are a little bit less forward thinking, shall we say, now they've got the cover of, hey, Eric Spolstra played zone in the playoffs. Nick Nurse is doing all this crazy crap. Like Now I can do that. Is this going to augur a lot more zone being played now? 
I think it will. And I think the thing that changed, because the points per possession was always so much worse with zones than with man-to-man. You know, the, the data bore that out. What happened, though, is that the points possession per possession in the league has risen so much over the last couple of years against man-to-man that I think like the effectiveness of zone hasn't changed as much as it's it's now on par with man-to-man. Uh, and so I, th- I think the teams that aren't naturally set up well to attack zones, I, I think now are, are vulnerable to them. In, in a way that they weren't before, because before it was like, okay, we might, we might, you know, we might only be the 15th best team against zone, whereas, whereas we're the fifth best team against man, but it doesn't matter because zone is a trash defense. It's going to give up, you know, 0.1 PPP more per, you know, per possession. So what's the difference? You're, you still don't want to play zone against us. Um, and it's interesting. It doesn't just come down to shooting, like interior passing really matters. Uh, in Memphis, we couldn't shoot worth a lick, but we had good interior passing and we were a good offensive rebounding team. So zone defenses really didn't give us a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think we are going to see zone and I think it's going to be less effective uh, overall than it's been at times in, in these playoffs. Where It does seem like a natural reaction to me to the, as Seth Partnow at The Athletic has put it, the heliocentric model of offense mm-hmm. or just the fact that you can't deal with guys in the pick and roll anymore like Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is the guy that made both Toronto and Miami go into the zone as much as they did and that was a great decision I think because Walker really just couldn't be as effective against the zone but there's a couple of reasons why it'll be less effective in the regular season I think although still may be effective for some teams. Number one that you just don't have as good a personnel as Toronto and Miami. Right? Well like yeah that's, clearly yeah or, or the Lakers who played it a little bit and uh, in that comeback in game three against the Nuggets, which ultimately fell short. Um, so that's a big part of it, right? Like usually the reason the zone has been played is because fuck, we can't stop these guys in man to man. What do all, what else do we got? Right? Like it's the bad defensive teams who are desperate who are playing it. And yeah, big surprise. You're also bad on defense in a zone it, it, just as much as you were in a man to man. And then the other reason is just the more you play it, the less it's a change up, the more experience the offense gets with it. There'll be more set plays against the zone. Guys will get that muscle memory back from going against the zone in college. And I think that the first mover advantage that some of these teams get by changing up and playing it, all of a sudden it is going to be lost. I do think it's one of those deals where you don't want your opponent to see too much of it. I I, I do agree with that. Um, the other thing that Miami has done really well, especially, and they did this in the regular season too with Derek Jones, even though he didn't play much in the, in the conference finals is putting size at the top of the zone and putting their uh, guards down in the corners and sort of saying like, okay, if you want to attack our corner guys, that's, that's fine. But it's a, it's a little quirky because it's, I mean, it's hard to rebound out of that. I mean, they're fortunate in a sense. Tyre Hero is a good rebounder. So I think he's, he's can hold up a little better than some other guards. Like if you're Boston and you're going to put Kemba Walker down there, I think there's going to be some problems. Um, so I, I think that's, that's one element of it. And then the other thing is that Boston didn't have a lob threat at the back of the zone. And I, I wrote about this in my story today for the athletic, which should be out soon, but I, it's really interesting to me. Like when you have Anthony Davis on the back line against a zone, how that changes a zone versus like having Daniel Tice either on the back line or or no real lob threat on the back line. Yeah, it's also interesting to see whether 
going a little bit bigger could help some teams against the zone from an offensive rebounding standpoint from having two bigs who can pass in the middle and finish around the rim you know so you could especially going against the two three you know the usual offense against the two three was all right you've got three guys on the perimeter then you've got a guy at the free throw line and then you've got the guy who runs the baseline right that was our high school uh zone offense uh, against the two three and sure. so now is that going to be what teams will do a, a little bit more as well uh and that miami zone as you mentioned was a, a unique animal and also like seeing what you can do with a zone with really smart nba players who just you know they're just much smarter than college players right they, these guys have been playing basketball for 10 more years and so you can do things like okay we're gonna play zone for the first two or three passes and then we'll match up man to man or oh let's say this guy drives against the guy at the top of the key and goes all the way to the rim. Well, that guy can actually just stay with them and block his shot from behind. Like you'd see like Derek yeah. Jones or, or Jay Crowder do that at, at times. Or if like the guy drives all the way through and gnashes under the rim, all right, we're just going to stay with them and then we'll just match up man to man out of that. Or there's some kind of a cutter who triggers you to switch into man to man. I mean, and the communication is much better at this level as well. That actually might be another thing too, is that with it being kind of silent in the bubble, the zone works better because you can just communicate more easily. That's a good that's point. A, I, hadn't thought, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Um, you know, the one thing we've seen zones used somewhat, and I think we're going to keep seeing more is uh, situationally out of bounds plays yeah. and out of timeouts. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams now who will sprinkle in zone looks after an opponent's timeout to screw up their play. Uh, if, you know, if they've run a man to man play for a certain look and then, you know, you come out in a zone and then all of a sudden they can't really run that, run their, run their little pet ATO. Well, and so I think coaches at this point, you'll probably have to get to where you're like, all right, if they're in man, we're going to run this. If they're in zone, we're going to run this. Or you run plays that you know work, can work against different defenses. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here, and then we got to talk uh, NBA Finals a little bit. With the NBA playoffs going on, I really haven't had time to make dinner, but I still want to eat something good, and so I order with DoorDash. They actually just acquired Caviar as well, which was one of my favorite delivery companies. Also, DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. You open the DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and your food is left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. They've got over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, and you can support your local go-tos, or you can choose from your favorite national restaurants like chipotle wendy's and cheesecake factory i've probably used doordash five or six times over the last few weeks so my favorite restaurants here in the bay area are on doordash and if you haven't started it yet you can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on your first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter the code locked on nba that's five dollars off and zero delivery fees on your first order with the doordash app entering code locked on nba the name of this network once more code locked on nba for five dollars off your first order with doordash David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is 
America's number one organic bread for a reason. It tastes so stinking good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store. So we just spent a bunch of time talking about the zone defense and LeBron James versus the zone defense. To my recollection, he has not faced that since 2011 against the Mavs. And obviously that didn't go very well. That was a heat team that didn't really have modern spacing as we now know the concept, although they certainly had a ton of talent. And I think maybe the amount of zone that the Mavs played in that series has been a little bit overstated historically. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, this is going to be fascinating of LeBron James, the smartest basketball player by much acclaim on the planet, but a guy who likes to control everything. What are they going to do against that heat zone, which I think they absolutely should play given some of the limitations that the Lakers have uh, as shooters. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole game within the game for Miami is to make the Lakers secondary players take all the shots and preferably from twenty feet plus, right? Yep. If Contavious Caldwell Pope and Alex Caruso beat you with three pointers, you know, shake the Lakers' hand, say, Great job, you're the champions. But you don't want to lose on LeBron blow buys and Anthony Davis dunks. Right. And you got to do everything you can to avoid that. Now, what's interesting, obviously, is that Spolstra had LeBron on his team for four years. So he knows what makes LeBron uncomfortable. And I, that, that's going to be really interesting because there's, there, I'm sure there are, there are things and elements to this that we haven't really thought about in terms of what he can do to just throw LeBron off enough. And, uh, th- that's that's one of the really interesting elements to this series where he might have an advantage. Yeah. It, do you think it matters that LeBron was there six years ago? I mean, is, I, is there, so certainly the passage of time. I mean, he's he's a different player, different person now. I mean, we all are over that kind of time period. Um, so, but I'm I'm sure there are certain elements of how he plays that are that are still kind of valid to that. Uh, yeah, but. The thing I keep getting back to when I look at this series, though, for Miami, is just what do they do about Davis? Well, I think Bam is a fine matchup against him, but then when you start switching everything, right. then that becomes an issue um, for sure. So, I, I mean, I think if you had to design someone in the NBA who could guard Davis, Bam would be right up there, you would think. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, but that's the exact issue is, okay— so and how, how do you deal with LeBron and Bam, right? Like you say, oh, we're, we're going to switch. Okay, well, what do you do about Davis? We're going to play zone. Well, how do you account for Davis in the zone? Uh, we're going to, you know, even offensively, we're going to run through st- stuff through Bam. Okay, well, now you're bringing Davis into every single offensive action. Uh, I, he's a problem, man. <laughs> like, he's been so good in these playoffs. And I know these teams uh, the, the Lakers played maybe didn't have the uh, front court uh, kind of defensive weapons that that or weapon that Miami has, but Davis has been really good. And Miami, for all it's done well, I mean they're they're not a big team. No, that's true. I mean, Jay, and rebounding could actually be a really big thing. I mean, this is my first time talking about this. I'm not ready to make a pick yet. I'll probably do that on Dunk On mm-hmm. later today. But yeah, if they especially, I mean, they'll probably go back to Javale just because that's what they do to start the game. But Javale and Davis or Howard and Davis. 
if they go to that zone, which they aren't at the start of games, you would imagine, but that could be the team with the offensive rebounding that really, you know, Dragic and Hero or Dragic and Robinson on the back line of the zone is going to be a, a major problem. And, you know, on the other hand, I'm very interested to see how the Lakers guard all this Miami handoff stuff as well. Like that's, that's going to be pretty fascinating. Um, but the Lakers don't really have the weak link defensively that you can go after that easily the way the Celtics did. So that, that's, that'll, that'll be really interesting. As that, well. yeah. I mean, that's one of the interesting things because the Lakers, for, I mean, they're, they like, this is the most top heavy roster or as top heavy a roster as you'll ever see. But the, like, who's the third best player on the Lakers? Danny Green, I guess. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we thought, but he doesn't even finish games for them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, they don't have anyone who's really atrocious or who's like a, a, a huge negative or has a, has a big kick me sign on them in terms of the guy you'd go after. I mean, I guess Kuzma when LeBron's out of the game, but even, even he is defended probably better in these playoffs than he did in the, in the regular season. I just don't know if there's that guy for Miami to go after and prey on. And the thing with their offense and the the sort of distribution of the wide distribution of skill throughout their offense is that they're really set up to go after weak links. And I don't see a lot of weak links on this Laker team for them to go after. Um, I mean, certainly if Waiters plays, I'm, I'm sure they'll go after him. But I, I, you know, now that Rondo's back, I don't see I don't see that happening. No, I I agree with you. So. You ready to do a little uh mailbag on the off season? That's that's the people want to hear is uh some free agency talk here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got some good questions from our readers, so I'm um, I'm excited to dive into this. All right, where do you want to start? Uh let's start by talking about uh Jeremy Grant. So uh reader uh Aram H at says uh you guys have mentioned that you think uh, Fred Van Vliet or Danilo Gallinari makes the most sense for Phoenix, but shouldn't be the team be the team to go like four times fifteen on Jeremy Grant? Uh, what do you think about Jeremy Grant's value? First of all, do you, like is he a guy who who should command that kind of money to you? Well, according to what most likely his agent leaked to Mike Singer uh, out of Denver, uh, his value is sixteen million plus per year. Okay, I would not pay sixty million plus per year for him. That that's interesting though because that tells me that uh, if he like if he actually can get that, like there's no chance of an extension happening with Denver. I I always thought an opt in with an extension was the thing that made the most sense, and Denver can go up to like eleven on an extension, um, and then go out years, however far they felt comfortable. Like it it seemed to me within that there's the structure of a pretty good deal. That takes away a lot of the risk for Grant ahead of free agency. I mean, there's not a lot of cap room out there. I don't think he's going to be anyone's number one target. And I, you don't want to get too carried away off this playoff performance. I mean, his last two games in the playoffs were good. You look at his overall playoffs. I mean, it's not like he was awesome in the playoffs. Uh, he, he showed himself as a good multi-positional defender, good multi-positional guy, you know, sort of a Swiss army knife. And that's definitely helpful, but it's only helpful at a certain level. Is he, can he really be one of the three or four best players on a, on a high level team? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I have my doubts. Well, we conceived of him coming into these playoffs as a combo forward. Maybe could start for you in a pinch. Not sure about his shooting. You know, he at least was a more aggressive shooter from three than he has been. He basically was their starting three, and he guarded LeBron, and he guarded Kawhi, I thought, pretty darn capably. 
until the very end there. So if you're seeing him as, yes, viable 3 and D option who can also finish at the rim, maybe could be a role man sometimes offensively as well, get on the offensive glass, get out in transition, does enough offensively and can guard the best player without getting overwhelmed defensively, isn't the player that I just described worth $16 million a year? Just playing devil's advocate here, if indeed you believe he's that player. Yeah, I... I think the idea of him is worth 16. I don't know if the actual player is worth 16. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause we're kind of thinking of him as more of like, all right, combo forward, you know, Al Farouk Aminu type, right? Like that, that was sort of what you were thinking of him. It's like, if he's shooter, you know, they'll kind of leave him open. Maybe he'll get a hot sometimes. Maybe he's going to miss other times. Uh, you know, and that it's probably too early to change your conception of what you believe about him as a shooter. The other question, though, in addition to just, okay, if this were a normal, healthy market, what would he get? And, you know, I do think 15 or 16 over four years, only 26, might be realistic there. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, well, where is that other offer coming from that is going to convince Denver to pony up that amount? You know, not that they haven't just overpaid their own guys for no reason before, but presumably the the belts will tighten a little bit more under the current condition well and they have to in denver's case when you're talking about being 20 million from the tax line or 30 million without grant um that you know they they're a little limited in some of the stuff they can do especially if they try to say trade for like if they tried to trade for drew holiday for instance which i i wrote about for the athletic uh this weekend and uh you know that that pushes them closer to the tax line too almost any trade they would do um and so that that leaves less money for the other things you have Millsap, plumley craig all free agents i mean even if they let them go they need to fill the roster spots somehow so there there's a lot of moving parts there and not a ton of financial wiggle room because murray's uh max is kicking in and i i don't think this team will ever pay the tax so it's a it's it's an interesting situation there, and I mean their best case scenario by far is the opt in and extend with Grant that at least locks in this year at the nine point three, and then when you get into the when you get into the out years, maybe the cap goes up, Barton's contract um, comes off, you, you know you got some Harris's con- contract comes off, like you got you got some things that give you flexibility in the in the out years, uh, even if you're paying them a little more than you than you otherwise might have wanted to. And they could do an well, extension. Why, why they could is, do an extension is, for four years too. Like, why would Grant want to do that though? Why wouldn't he just opt out and say, "Hey, you got full board rights on me, so pay me more than one hundred and twenty percent of the nine million that I was making this year?" Yeah, I mean, it could come down to that that game of chicken. Um, and there's no way he. Uh, we'll put it this way, right? Uh, Singer reported that that he plans to opt out. Number one, mm-hmm. there's no way he gets less than what he is scheduled to make on that option. Right? I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, 9.3. So so he clearly is going to opt out. Unless what if what if they offered him a 4-year $50 million extension on top of the 9? Yeah, I don't know, man. That's uh so, so it kicks in when he's 27. Yeah. It's uh I mean, that's equivalent to getting 5 years 60 million as a free agent. Well, well, but when this is here's the thing though, John. I don't think this is ever other than Dwight Powell, I can't think of another time when there's been a situation where an extension has been agreed to when the guy has a player option and could opt out of it. Oh, we did it with Zach Randolph. Did it, like like after the season was already over. Yep. Yep. When was that? That was like like 20 2015. Oh yeah, okay. All right. Well, I got now I understand why you you've been pushing this. <laughs>
Yeah, I so, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so quarter case, but it, but it, but it has happened. Okay, you've you've talked me into the idea that he might opt out, though. You see, I think I think people are getting way too giddy off his playoff performance. I think he's, you know, I think he's like a pretty decent player, but I, I don't know. I, I I have trouble I have trouble getting too crazy about going over the mid level for him. Yeah. Well, you do you like him better than Al Aminu? He's way better than him, right? Uh, yeah. So now Farouk Amino got a full mid-level deal last year. Yeah. So if you're, and even if Denver offers that to you, if you opt, if he opts out, Denver's be like, oh yeah, that offer is going to disappear. No, they would love to have him at four for 50, regardless of whether it's an extension or an opt out. So there's no, I just don't see the downside risk to, to opting out. But me, I mean, to go back to the question from Aram, the Phoenix does seem like a team that yeah, maybe that would make some sense here. Would you, re- I think you'd feel happy about replacing Dario Saric with Grant, wouldn't you? Yeah, I do. I do think that makes some sense. Um, I'm interested to see though, how much Phoenix is going to put into getting another guard, because I think, I, I think that might matter more to them. They Who know they, guard? they know they can play Ubre at four, Bridges at four. Um, like they, you know, John, uh, Johnson uh, at four. So I, like, I think Grant helps them, but they also have guys like that. I think, I think another guard, uh, raises, raises their floor. Cause I mean, you can't just blithely count on Ricky playing 82 games and, uh, you know, Cameron Payne gave him, gave him a lift, but I, I still think you got to be looking a little sideways at that spot. Right. And, and their, their backcourt reserves just killed them throughout the regular season. So I I still think that's the first focus for Phoenix, and I guess it depends who they pick at number ten, also. But it, interesting idea for for the Suns though to to go in that direction. Yeah, maybe they think Ty Jerome can help them a little bit more this year as well. He had a lost year starting off the year with that ankle injury. But uh, my question though is, who is that guard? The the guard the point guard market is terrible. It's terrible. It's Fred Van Vliet and Jordan Clarkson. Like that's it. So yeah. And is, is Jordan Clarkson even a point guard? So, yeah, that's... Uh, no. no, he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the issue. Now, there are scenarios where you could maybe trade into the cap space somehow, but then you're you're really starting to get into some, some oddball scenarios. I mean, the thing about free agency is just like, you you know, you do the contract and bam, right? You don't have to, you don't have to jump through a bunch, as many hoops to, to get the guy on your team. All right, let's take another quick break here, and then we got a, a lot more interesting free agency questions coming up here if you really love your car if you really love working on it yourself in your garage whether it's just a a small repair or something larger getting parts has always been biased against you chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're reliably low they offer the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do and you don't need a membership or that annoying account login either they're a family business at rockauto.com serving auto parts customers online for now over 20 years so you just go to rockauto.com so much easier than actually having to go to the parts store and just tell the guy at the desk what you want him to order because they're never going to have that part in stock anyway input the name of your make and model and see what they got out there for you whether it's tail lamps motor oil even new carpet get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car and truck and make sure you write lock on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com a lot of times when i'm going out of the house 
I used to grab a protein bar and then realize, oh man, I forgot a water bottle with it, which was a big problem because most protein bars taste like they came out the back of a cement mixer. I would eat it and then feel like I couldn't even move my tongue around in my mouth for the rest of the day. It was just so dry and chalky. Built Bar is different. They now have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. The six new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, plus some of the originals like double chocolate and peanut butter raspberry as well as fantastic the bars are covered 100 chocolate they're soft and easy to chew and they can help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat for example peanut butter 19 grams of protein 180 calories 5 grams of sugar 5 grams of net carbs that's it and they'll even give you a free cooler with purchase while supplies last i just want to say that while supplies last go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get ten dollars off your next order that's promo code locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com Let's stay in Denver. Option Zero asks, given that Denver already overplayed Plumley once and overplayed him too, how much do you think they will re-sign him for? <laughs> Not that they should, but... Uh, and can we get some over-under action and revisit this in January? Yeah. Um, again, they're pretty tight there with the luxury tax. I actually think they maybe shouldn't re-sign him at all, or if they do... Should be looking at something between three and five million. You can get backup centers cheaply, right? Pretty much anywhere right now. And you know that this is going to be a very limited job description for as long as Jokic is there, right? They, when they initially signed Plumlee to that contract, they had this fantasy that they could play Plumlee and Jokic together, uh, which I, that just doesn't seem realistic to me at all. And it's, it's a 10 minute job at this point. Obviously, I mean, you still need quality to get through the regular season and whatnot. But again, backup center, easiest position in the league to fill. Uh, not a very expensive proposition. No reason to go crazy here. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say between three and five million. And I mean, maybe they even take a five at, at 22 and, and don't even bother keeping Plumley. Well, but. Could that five at 22 really do as good a job at blowing late game and end of quarter defensive substitutions the way Plumley does? I mean, that's an important role for this team. I, I don't know that anyone could fill that as well as Plumley. The, the important thing is to call your own number on post-ups, uh, regardless of who else is on the floor, what the matchup is. You know? Um but uh, so so the question does though I mean knowing Denver's affinity for him that we apparently do not share I think it ends up being something like two years twelve million or three years eighteen million maybe with like a non guarantee or a team option on the end like I think it's going to actually be more than yeah. the room exception which was kind of the set market for backup centers last year with Ed Davis Robin Lopez and as Kaner. Yeah. So if you're having trouble with our broadcast right now, that's just me banging my head against the microphone. Yeah. I, well, so, if they, so if they pay Grant 15 million and they play Plumley six, they still got 9 million under the tax. Like that's, that's probably enough to work with. That would, that would put them at, uh, I think, uh, 11 players. So we fill, fill the rest out with some minimums. Yeah. But you kind of take, I mean, you're, you're taking any ability to add to the roster off the table at that, but like they still need to get another wing player. I mean, you, you want to, well, Barton's you, coming back. Barton's coming back, but you want to upgrade that Tory Craig role. You're probably going to lose Millsap. So now you need either Porter or Grant to be your starting four. So I, I think they need to really focus on another wing player and probably need to use their mid level for that. Like if they could, you know, if they could get like a, I don't know, like a Justin Holiday type, wouldn't, wouldn't that help a lot? Yeah. 
yeah as as an upgrade over craig yeah that's that's a good point and, and i do think that that would but particularly given a the franchise bent to just take care of their own and then b the fact that they had this unexpected success and they're gonna feel like they want to keep it going i i see them just prioritizing bringing their own guys back rather than using some you know they might prioritize Tory Craig over Justin Holiday, right? Uh, wrongly, but I, yeah, I, it's, and Craig Craig is a restricted free agent too, though they can squeeze him. So uh, I mean, I, I do kind of see them just other than Millsap bringing back largely the same group. I'd be disappointed if that's what they did because I think yeah, I think what's ahead of them is more difficult than they realize. If you look at other teams that sort of I, I wrote about this uh, yesterday, but you look at other kind of surprise conference finalists. It's, I mean, we were one of them in Memphis in 2013. Like, it's not easy getting back. You still have to, you still have to do more with your roster. I don't think you can just count on continuity getting you back there when you weren't necessarily picked to be there in the first place. And that, you know, there are things that other teams are doing. You know, the Warriors are going to reconstitute. The Clippers are going to be angry. You know, Utah feels like it could have been them. So I, I just, I think you just have to do more than just run it back in this situation. I'm in a thousand percent agreement, but I also fear that they may not see it that way, much as uh, Portland kind of, I thought. I mean, they they had more of an issue because of Nurkic's injury, uh, but, you know, Portland was definitely primed to take a step back. I mean, yeah, and it's one thing if it's like, okay, we just rolled through, you know, if we did a Miami and we won each series 4-1 and then, okay, we lost to the Lakers. Yeah. That's one thing, but, you know, you might have heard this. They were down 3-1 in, in, both, in, in both series. Yeah, and really just – and I mean like down in point margin too, like de- like deservedly down 3-1 and just kind of li- limboed under and into the, the conference finals. So I, I think that I think they still have work to do. I'd be really interested in seeing them uh, try to do something with Gary Harrison picks, uh, whether it's – I wrote about Drew Holiday, but whether it's him or uh, some other kind of significant – player who could give them uh you know another really high level talent when they get to the playoffs and you know having that with murray with Jokic, with porter if he can be that player then i think you're really on to something where you see yourself as more a legitimate contender next question uh sure what do you what do you got let's see here uh true blue clint asks how much guaranteed money would it take for Mike Conley, who is due $34 million this year on his ETO, to opt out and sign a three-year extension? Clint suggests three years, $60 million. So here's where, where it gets interesting for me. Does that really help Utah? Maybe. It helps Utah if they re-sign Clarkson with bird rights and use their full mid-level. Yes. Uh, that's, that's where that could, could help the jazz um because they project to have about 12 million below the tax if conley opts in so that helps you bring back clarkson and then you're done exactly exactly and uh their their bench was a problem and i i do think they need to really look at using that mid-level money to uh to upgrade and make them more of a true seven eight deep team uh, in, in a playoff series and not rely so much on the Niangs and Morgans to get them through those minutes. I mean, it was a problem in the Denver series, clearly. Um, uh, so that, that is a potential thing. Uh, interesting to contemplate what the number would be. Conley was pretty good in the Denver series and was pretty good the second half of the season, even though he struggled out of the gate. When you talk about three times 20, that's a, 
that's a two times 13 extension on, on what he's making now. Yes. That's, I mean, that's probably roughly in the ballpark, but I, I just wonder if you're Conley, if you'd rather just take the money this year and then try to get the upside in the 2021 free agent market. Um, well, and particularly because if it looks like this Utah situation is not going to put him in championship contention, if that's what he wants, or maybe he just wants to live somewhere other than, than Utah, I mean, just to have that optionality, I think, rather than locking in, you know, and given how much money he's made in his career, does it really matter that much if he gets $8 million the next two years instead of $13 million the next two years when you could be have the ability to be where you want? Yeah, I could I could definitely see that being a factor. Um, you know, I could It's just, just hard like just, these, these situations, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, j- just knowing him, I mean, I could definitely see how like going to Indiana or maybe even Cleveland or you know, somewhere close to uh kind of that high Ohio Indiana nexus <laughs> where he's spent most of his life uh would be attractive to him. We also just haven't seen anybody opt out and take that big of a reduction. Like now it makes a little more sense for someone at the end of their career, but you look at say Harrison Barnes, for example, okay, he opted out of what, like 24 million, but then he signs a deal for like an average annual value of like 22 million. Yeah. And Valanchunas was a similar, similar thing where he opted out and re-signed, but the haircut was pretty small. Um, I want to stay on this topic though, because I do think it's unlikely with Conley. But can we talk about Gordon Hayward? Yeah, we absolutely can. And Boston's tax situation, particularly once the inevitable Tatum Max extension kicks in in the summer of 2021. Yeah. So this is a really interesting situation here because Boston is way into next year's tax. Um, Now, they can do some stuff to lighten their load. I presume they're going to pay somebody to take Cantor and Poirier off off their uh, hands uh, you know, and that'll get him, that'll get them closer to the tax line. But the thing that would really help them is if Hayward, Hayward opts out, signs for less money over a longer period, uh, cause that puts their mid-level exception back in play and lets them get, get back in the market for a big, which I think they probably are going to want to do. Um, and or lets them be a little more aggressive in the trade market with some of these draft picks they have. The problem is the out years, as you say, when you start getting into a Jason Tatum extension and one that could potentially be a Rose Rule extension too, because um, now you're into the tax in future years and you have fewer ways to get out of it once you have Tatum and Kemba and Brown and Hayward all making 20 plus million. And I presume you're probably going to want to re-sign Marcus Smart, who's a value contract right now, but comes off the books in 22. Like that, that gets hard, man. Like what, what's the number with Hayward where that, where that would make sense? Well, from his perspective or the Celtics perspective? Let's, let's talk about from the Celtics perspective with a, with a tinge of realism as to what Hayward might accept. So, you know, would he accept, and because he could also just extend on top of the, like if you're Hayward, don't you just say, all right, well, why don't we just extend on top of my 34 million for next year and, and we can start me off at 20 a year after that? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's what my position would be. Right, and it, uh, to me, th- for Boston, that's a non-starter. I, well, I, and, I think yeah. I think I think you're I think you might be better off letting the season play out, paying the tax, let them go to free agency, and then you know what the cap number is, you know what the twenty-one market is, and 
you're dealing with all knowns. And if you have to go into mid-level money to replace Gordon Hayward, well, you know what? You like you, you already have four really good perimeter players. So he's, he's a little bit of a luxury at this point. As good, I mean, he's a good player, even though he, I mean, he wasn't good last night, but he's, he's a good player. And I, I just don't know if his value to Boston is as high as it is for some other team. Now, here's the, I mean, here's the other thing we haven't talked about. I mean, you could trade Hayward for a five also. Yeah. And if you're opting in, then you're basically accepting that you're probably going to get traded over the, the life of that contract, just looking at their salary structure going forward. Either Kemba or Hayward is going to end up getting traded, I think, at some point. It's 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 either one of those or or the other scenario is they play out next year with the same crew and then Hayward walks as a free agent and they don't bring him back. The, to me, those are the only out- viable outcomes, given their tax situation, their history, which is like... They might pay the tax one year, but they're not going to be, they're not going to do what Oklahoma City did and like send 60 million checks, dollar checks to the league every year. Yeah. That, that seems unlikely. It seems like they're kind of, you know, $15 million over the tax is probably about where I would guess their limit is. So I don't even know if it's that yeah. high, but yeah, I, yeah, in general, I, yeah, the general concept. Yes. I agree. I, I mean, it does seem like you just to opt out. And yeah, you could reduce your tax burden for 2020 and that might be nice, but, or for 2021, that might be nice. But to give him, I mean, I think it would take, if I'm Hayward, a hundred million dollars guaranteed to opt out of that 34. Yeah. And at that point, when you, if you're the Celtics, like you paint yourself in such a corner with your tax, pl- with your cap planning, it's just not worth it. You know, your well, team and going so inconsistent. You know, your right? team going I mean, forward is Tatum and Brown, right? Like that's your team. So yeah. and you you can't sweat the Hayward part that much. Is you know you like him, he's a good player, but like it, at some point you gotta you gotta let players part. I mean, part of the hard part of this business is knowing when to knowing when to let good players go. I mean, that was one of the things we had to do in, in Memphis with <laughs> with Zach and Tony and you know Courtney Lee and some other guys. Well, it, it helped that they weren't good anymore at that time. But well, uh, you don't have I, to respond to that. We'll just okay. we'll just move on. Uh- <laughs> Courtney but, Lee, Courtney uh, Lee was still pretty darn good when we traded him to Charlotte. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He he was he was actually. I thought he was, was a really underrated reason why they were pretty good in in 2016. Um, but yeah. Last thing uh, on Boston and Hayward, like you would certainly prioritize keeping Marcus Smart over him going forward. Yeah, I would completely agree youth. with that. And, and the and, youth and the yeah. role too. Yeah, and if Gordon Hayward comes back next year and he looks unbelievable and he stays healthy all year, then you know, you can't really play that many minutes anymore either. You know, there, there's, uh, definitely some limitations there. And who knows? We might be feeling differently about him if he hadn't injured his ankle and was, you know, he, he fought well to come back, but he obviously was not the same guy yeah. in the Miami series. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls. And I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. 
Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Um, okay, one more break, and then let's hit a, a few more of these. Okay, you want to pick one here? All right, let's uh, let's go off the beaten path a little. What do you see the Hornets doing in free agency? Uh, Swag to Miss Prime <laughs> asks us, uh, are there any targets that make sense for them? What is it, what does this team do? I mean they yeah, they have some, they have some money but like what, what do they do? Yeah, I mean let's start off with their situation. Um you know on the odd event that uh Nikola Batum opts into the 27 million that he's due, they will be about 19 million dollars under the cap. I, they don't really have anyone that they want to re-sign. So probably uh do they spend it? Do they try to get us I mean I think their best option is just try to pick up some assets for teams that are trying to reduce salary and stay under the tax. Absolutely. Yeah. They should be doing what, uh, what Memphis did, what actually the Clippers did before they signed Kawhi, um, in the Harkless deal. But the number one thing is to obtain assets. And then the number two thing I think is to kind of go body snatching, which is make a list of guys 25 and under who might be good targets, uh, to outplay their contract over the next three, four years, try to get them on longer deals, but value deals and try to build your asset base that way. Um, I, I think that makes more sense than sort of splurging on, you know, we'll spend the $17 million on this half good player who is 31 and helps us win 28 games this year instead of 23, right? Like, I, I just don't see the point of that. Well, the two players with whom they've probably most often been linked are Christian Wood and Montrez Harrell. They do need something. They've got Cody Zeller, who's a solid player. But one thing is when your offense is terrible, center is probably the easiest position to find cheap offense at and, and boost yourself for a regular season offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, Devontae Graham, particularly because he's kind of a limited two point player having a guy who can really finish around the rim in the pick and roll, I think would really help him. So, but okay. What is 24? He could be part of what you're doing. And Harold 26, I guess he could be, he might, he might even be undervalued at this point after his miserable playoff experience. So it's just the question of what is spending your money on those guys get you in the long term. Right. I think another guy who's interesting for them uh, is potentially Jakob Pertle. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he's not like he's not going to give them as much offensively, but in terms of having like a legitimate solid starting five who can be with you for a while, I think dropping a sheet on him would be really interesting. What's a, what's your offer sheet to him? Uh, you probably got to go around ten a year. Wouldn't you rather just try and get Christian Wood for that money? Potentially, I I, I wonder how high the number is going to go on Wood. You think that that ten is not enough? I wonder. I, I he's a hard one for me to project. I think people are still a little all over the place on him and how they view him. Yeah. Well, that that's the uh, the early bird rights for Detroit. Although I think that's probably being overstated a little bit because I don't I don't see Detroit being like, oh yeah, let's use all of our cap space and then we'll immediately rocket ten million over the tax or fifteen million or ten fifteen million over the tax once they sign a bunch of minimums and stuff or not over the tax over the cap. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the only still, re- I don't see this being team being expensive. Detroit, yeah, the only uh, reason Detroit would do that would be if somebody paid them to take a player, right? Yep, yep. That that's the only scenario where that becomes realistic. But yeah, I I mean, I I think 
the early bird thing probably doesn't really matter for Detroit. I could see a corner case where like they they tried to get Fred Van Vliet and Wood at the same time where it might matter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, if if they're if we're gonna do the Tom Gores chase the eighth seed, but it doesn't. It's reporting has indicated that they're supposedly going away from that approach now. That's okay. Uh, next question here. That's or, that's or, that's or, what or I hope. Sorry, I do. do you have anything else? Uh, no, that's a. I, I think that's enough Hornets for one day. Um. Okay. The Hawks have to keep Trey Young happy. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that actually. Um, yeah. Because they got plenty of team control on him still. Yeah. Um. In fact, I, I would posit that making moves with the idea of keeping him happy now would be very short-sighted as, as we've talked about on previous programs to keep the guy happy moves usually don't work out you need to just do what you think is best to win games and then winning the games will keep him happy not a move that he thinks is going to win him games um, yeah to the extent you do keep the guy happy at all you do it in like year seven when he's two years away from unrestricted free agency right like not yeah not not, not coming off his second season because you're gonna you're gonna be able to do the max extension with him. Nobody has ever turned this down except I mean I guess Porzingis threatened to turn it down, but it never really got to that. Um, I I just think the the Hawks are in a really good shape there still. Uh, but All I'm right. sorry. Let's let, let's get to the money part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was, it was my fault for interjecting. But uh, Hami Sherwood, I think that's what it what it is. Uh, who do you go after to get better? But keep youth and flexibility as well if you're the Atlanta Hawks with their over forty million in cap space. Yeah, they um their their wing players were not good this year. Uh I saw a lot of the Atlanta Hawks in person and I can verify this emphatically. Uh yeah. So so are you uh are you actually even like rooting for the pandemic to be over? Like isn't it better <laughs> to just not have to see the Hawks in person? <laughs> I don't know. You, you, you tell me. I mean, would, is it better? Is it better for you to not have to see uh, Agent Mulder and the Golden State Warriors uh, to take the hey, floor? He's good. He's good. <laughs> Jimmy, no, Smiley Geach, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you can crap on uh, some of the guys that are actually bad. Mulder is going to be good. You mark my words. Okay. Okay. Um, Although calling him Agent Mulder is is quite solid. <laughs> the. Uh, so the Hawks already filled one weakness with Capella, right? Their centers were the worst in the league, hands down, and now they're not. Um, but at the wing, I think again, I, you know, a little bit of my Charlotte conversation goes here where I'm, I'm worried about the Hawks because I think they're too focused on making the playoffs this year and not focused enough on what, on what they look like one, two, three years out. That said, I do think they can thread the needle a little bit and try to get some guys in their, in their twenties who are, who are young enough to still be part of um, what this team could be going forward and trying to find some of those younger wing players uh, who could maybe help them a little more now, but still be a piece of what they're doing going forward. I think that's, I I think that's a, that's, I mean, that's the name of the game for them in free agency. I don't think they're going to be doing as many deals this year where they like get paid to take on assets. So it's going to be, it's going to be more about them hunting for talent and bringing guys in and, I see, uh, you know, a couple guys who might be interesting for them. Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope, who is from Georgia and could be an unrestricted free agent, uh, I think he'd be sort of interesting. Malik Beasley, I think, would be interesting. Uh, he's another Georgia guy, uh, although he's restricted. And Minnesota, having given up a first for him, they'll probably try pretty hard to retain him. So I don't know how well that one will work out. 
Um, DeAnthony Melton, would you would you make a run at him? Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think really, I wouldn't even be, and you've kind of alluded to this, I wouldn't even be focused on, oh man, what's the fit with John Collins? What's the fit with Cam Reddish? Just get some more guys in here who can play. You don't know that Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter is going to work out. You don't even know how John Collins is going to work out necessarily. I mean, maybe you have an idea with his extension negotiations coming up. But just get some guys in here who can play. Derek Jones Jr., yeah, there's not an obvious fit with him offensively, but he can dunk and Trey Young can pass, and he gives you someone who can actually defend on the perimeter. And, of course, the defense is probably the the lowest-hanging fruit for this group. And so, yeah, and and even Jones Jr., he could be part of a three-man rotation at the four and the five where he could play next to Collins or he could play next to Capella as well. Maybe you could move him over to the three if you got someone who could shoot a little bit better. Um so I, I think I would be willing to go there, particularly when this is a market that you know, I think the Hawks it would make sense if there's a player that they like to give a long term contract that's not, you know, as long as it's not over like, you know, ten million a year or something. Uh, but I would not want to go for Let's go four years and sixty million for Joe Harris or something like that. What about uh, our guy Jeremy Grant? This yeah, is this is this is the team that I could see splurging for Jeremy Grant. Yeah, and so he's going to play the three in the starting lineup. He would start at the three and then move to the four as the game went on. Yeah, hmm. I, don't, I mean, I'm I'm with you on the whom. I don't, I don't love him as as a, as a three as sort of his permanent spot. Yeah, it, it depends what the price is too, right? Even just getting a, a good player on a good contract, if you're the Hawks, who can contribute some. And Grant at 26, if he's on 12 million a year, maybe he is a guy that you could move later if you wanted to, or he facilitates you moving Collins in a trade at, at some point as well. That you could move Capella again potentially. Just getting some more good guys in there. It can't hurt. I mean, their backup wings were terrible last year too. So yeah, um, and and they're going to use some of this money on a backup point guard. Clearly, um, yeah. But I don't know if they need to break the bank on that. Like I, I could see them bringing in like like DJ Augustine. Like just bringing a guy for a year to get us through the night, right? But the the I think the bulk of their spending has to be on the wing. I'm just worried they're going to end up with like jay crowder on three years 40 million or something you know (laughs) like just overpaying someone who's not really that young and not really that good bertans has been linked to them as well i don't get that because i i just think it's too much of a crowd in the in the front court i mean where bertans or somebody of that ilk makes sense is if you've decided to trade john collins for a wing well, they just need someone who can make shots, right? I mean, non Trey Young Hawks shot like what thirty one percent on threes. Uh, yeah, it it felt more like three point one percent at times, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Bertans again, it, you could sign him for it. now. Washington will probably they're going to pony up. You would think to keep him. So yeah, he, the idea of him coming cheap might be a, a little bit more far fetched than some of these other guys who may just not have any kind of a market above the mid level particularly on a long-term deal because yeah i don't think the hawks are really like oh man we're gonna get somebody big in 2021 so they can have that advantage of being one of the few teams that would be willing to give out a long-term contract and it could still be a decent deal so you know that's one approach the other approach is all right let's throw bigger one-year deals at some of these guys that marcus Marcus morris one year 20 million right something like that (laughs) Well, or or Augustine could be, you know, we'll go one year, nine million for him or yeah. something like that, just to yeah. bring him in be, and try again in 2021 when we hopefully 
are a better free agent destination but everyone's gonna have cash then and being one of the only teams that has cash can be an advantage now even if the market isn't as good yeah it's uh it's unfortunate for the hawks because this i mean this market is much stronger at the four uh than it is on the perimeter okay you want to do one more here you pick it up yeah sure uh do this dallas one uh yeah sure can you can you read it because i think i lost it i i saw it before i know which one you're talking about uh ricky asks what do you think dallas should do to balance short-term success versus long-term in the offseason i think this is still a team that if they're being smart really wants to keep their powder dry for 2021 and they should be able to pull it off like it was going to get complicated if tim hardaway opted out i think the way this market is looking uh, and the uncertainty sort of in the world. I think him opting into that 18.97 million is definitely the way he's going to go. And because of that, it really sets up Dallas well to ride this out, play that 2021 free agent market, unless they can trade before then and, and get a player in, uh, and lock in another max caliber player before Luca's mega max contract kicks in after that. Uh, and then you ride forward with three max players with Luca Porzingis and, and whoever you get in 21. I mean, that, that's the ideal version of how you play this out in Dallas. And so I'm not sure you want to do too much to mess this up in the short term. I mean, you can be opportunistic, uh, with, with trades and whatnot. Uh, you know, you have, you got picks at 18 and 31 where maybe you put those in play to give yourself some upgrades somehow. Um, uh, but I'm not sure I would be too aggressive right now. The biggest thing in the short term for them is making sure Kristaps Porzingis is a guy who can get through the season in one piece because the history of oversized bigs in this league is not great. No, it's not. And he's not as stiff as some of those guys. But yeah, I mean, particularly knowing that he has the... Did you guys ever run into the situation where the like, should the guy have surgery or should he try and rehab it? And come back and not have the surgery because it seems like they diagnosed him with a small meniscus tear i think they might have just said that so everyone in the media would stop calling him a wuss for not playing with knee soreness right maybe it's not that bad maybe it's just like really really minimal and but you know something that he had an issue with for quite a bit and some of these late scratches he went through that dance a number of times so did you ever go through that of like all right do we have the guy have the surgery you know, we think there's like a 70% chance he can just rehab and be fine. But then if he doesn't, next year is ruined. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we went through that with uh, with Mike Conley, sort of, with the um, with the thing in his Achilles that kept bothering him more and more and more until finally he just couldn't he just couldn't grind it out on it anymore. And yeah. and we uh, now, fortunately, the, our season was off the rails by that point, so it was an easier call to say go ahead and get the surgery. But yeah, we absolutely went through that and. It's it's very difficult as a team uh, to assess that because there's so much gray area, both in terms of medical outcomes and season outcomes, and you know what the player wants. Obviously, is a huge factor in all of that. Uh, it's I mean, generally, like dealing with broken bones is much easier <laughs> because right. that's just like okay, here's what you do. You know exactly how long it's going to be, and uh, and, and that's it. Like even. You know, even with like a serious injury, like when Mark broke his navicular bone, it was like it was very uh, orderly and and definitive in terms of here's here's what the surgeon does. 
here's what you do afterward. And here's, you know, sort of the X, Y, Z of how you get the guy back on the court. And if you fail at any of these points, then you will definitely screw up the guy's career. But if you don't, there's a very easy, you know, orderly path and everyone knows exactly what the score is. And there's really not a lot of gray area. And those are much easier generally than issues with, uh, joints and ligaments and, and, soreness and and things of that nature where there's a lot of there's a lot of pain issues that that you don't you know i mean the whole we can get into the whole psychology of of pain in the human body and whatnot but there's a lot going on there let's put it that way and it's just a really tricky issue for teams and and that's why i think you see some of these uh some of these situations where to the public, it seems like a muddle of what's going on. And that's because it's, it's just such a tricky situation to deal with. And it takes, it takes some time to really arrive at the best decision. Yeah. I'm interested to see. I mean, obviously the worst scenario is, okay, he rests for a while. He feels good. He comes into camp and then there's still you know, soreness that he's struggling with. And then he has to have the surgery, you know, two weeks into training camp and yeah. ends up missing out. I mean, to me, it wasn't a great sign that this came up as early as it did. Right. Just like after a few games in the bubble and then, you know, a couple playoff games and bam. So that, I mean, that definitely would be concerning for me if I'm a Dallas fan. And I think that's another reason I think to keep your powder maybe a little dry for this year. Like you just need to see how this plays out with Porzingis and, and what else you're going to need on this team when you, when you see sort of this, this team and how they operate next year and how Porzingis gets through the season. I think that's going to give you some answers to some questions that you that you you just don't know the answers to right now and that'll guide some of the things you do at the trade deadline in 20 and in free agency in 21. If you were Dallas, would you consider giving up one of those picks that you have to try to get off of Dwight Powell who makes uh, 11 million the next 3 years? I guess you probably his that extension just kicks in now. I guess you probably don't have the ammo to to move him at this point coming off the torn Achilles, so never mind. It's it's tough. I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's 11, 11, 11 on that extension, you know, 33 million. And you're probably taking a zero on him this year with the Achilles. Uh, the 18th pick, could you, you know, could you move 18 to, to get off of that money? If a team, I mean, if a team liked him enough to think they'd get something from him the last two years, I mean, I guess maybe it's just hard because the type of team that would maybe, that would maybe want him isn't really the type of team that's doing like salary, you know, taking on bad salary for assets type trades. That's a, that's, that's a trick. That's a tricky one. And I could see the logic there, right? Because then that opens up your 21 cap space as well. Like that, that does a lot of things for you if you're Dallas, but man, I just, that's, that's going to be a hard one to pull off. Well, uh, part of my thinking is again, having the first mover advantage. If you wait till the trade deadline, everybody's trying to dump money to create space for 21. You know, if you're Charlotte right now, there aren't that many teams maybe that are trying to, that are really trying to like give up a first round pick. Yeah. To dump money. So maybe, you know, he actually might help in Charlotte once he comes back from the Achilles if he's effective, which, you know, it's, that's questionable in his late 20s and being an athleticism dependent player coming off the Achilles. But, you know, maybe that's, or, or uh, Dalon Wright would be another guy that you might look to move. Yeah. I, I mean, I could definitely see Dallas doing something where they try to say, like, turn Wright and Justin Jackson and a first into, like, a good player who, who's more kind of Luca friendly than Wright is and makes in the 10 to 15 million range. Cause I think like, I still think DeLon Wright's a pretty good player, but he did not fit there at all. Yeah. If you're the Hawks, would you just take him? 
to be your backup point guard? I think that might be a good deal for Atlanta. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's not bad. Or Detroit too. I mean, they got they, they got point guard. They issues. do have point guard issues. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, maybe you could even like, could you get something for it? Could would I don't know if that. I mean, Dallas just gave up two seconds. I think it was to sign a trade for him a year ago. I don't. I don't. I don't know if they're going to surround and give up a second to move off of him this quickly. I could, well, I could, no, I'm saying I'm saying could could Dallas get something for him? Could they just get like one crappy second, or is he or is he negative value? I mean, I, I'd rather pick him up than basically just about anyone else who realistically the fact the fact there. yeah the fact that this free agent point guard market is so dead uh, really plays in Dallas's favor on something like that. Uh, so you could see it. I mean, or can you? I mean, you can at least sell it maybe where like you know some of these you know uh atlanta owns the rights to a top 45 protected second from new orleans right do you get like that and the rights to marcus erickson right so like you at least can win the press conference a little bit right something like that yeah um all right well this is fun a reminder again we're gonna be back on thursday this week talk about game one of the finals we we had a few more questions left here maybe we'll we'll hit some more of these absolutely as well and then then we will be on thursdays going forward to uh separate out a little bit more from the free episode of dunked on which you should listen to though danny and i had a a huge mega episode yesterday and of course read john at the athletic he had a piece talking about even more of these denver issues uh, as well and what was the other one that you you said you just wrote that's coming out shortly oh my preview of the finals yeah yeah should be uh hot off the presses this app by the time you're hearing this prod podcast it should be hot off the presses all right uh, we will talk to y'all next time till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.